This podcast is made possible by Sage Intact and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Stefan Parrott, CFO of KCG Holdings, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 315. particularly the CFO, can add a ton of value is on pricing. Um, in a lot of businesses, pricing is just so under-respected, under-appreciated, under-focused on. But at the end of the day, the way you choose to monetize and price will have a dramatic effect on your growth and your profitability. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. On today's episode, we speak with Eric Johnson, CFO of Nintax, the fast-growing workflow automation company. Eric agreed to review his 12-month finance leader priorities with us, and along the way, he shares the details behind Nintex's decision to invest in an inside sales organization. We'll discuss that investment and Eric's success in achieving an outward-facing CFO role after these words from our sponsor. It's a question every growing business must answer. How do you scale your organization to accommodate growth while reducing risk? Sage Intech provides the instant visibility into deep operational and financial requirements that inform decision-making when scale is top of mind. By automating error-prone manual tasks and allowing your team to focus on the analysis of more accurate information, Sage Intech provides the visibility required to confidently scale your organization. Sage Intact is the only AICPA preferred provider of cloud financial management software. Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Yeah, so our, um, you know, our business right now, uh, I, I would say we've got um, some pretty big strategic um, moves and, and priorities going on right now that, that I'm deeply involved with. Um, number one, we've been making some changes to our economic uh, model, how we uh, uh, price and monetize uh, our solution. We've been moving more to a subscription-based workflow um, model. That's a, a big shift in our business and a, and a huge priority for the next uh, next year or so. Um, the other is we've been really going and increasing our addressable market. We've been working hard on developing the next generation of our technology and some uh, add-on offerings. And, and so big priority for me is helping the organization make the trade-offs on capital allocation between these longer-term investments, which are going to start to come into the market over the next 12 months, and then the, the shorter term things we need to do. And that's, you know, that's something where I really think it's a, you know, a critical role that I play and my team plays. 
and working with the organization to make those trade-offs because you've got to, you know, you've got to pay the bills today, but you need to do the things that will allow your business to be successful for the next, you know, three, five, ten years. And, and that's a, a big part of where I spend my time right now. That's Eric Johnson, CFO of Nintex, a workflow automation company. Eric first shared his finance leader priorities with us more than a year ago, episode 215 to be exact. We're pleased to have Eric once more join us and update us on those priorities. What has been achieved, what priorities have changed, and what's evolved over time. Finance has never been more dynamic and certainly leaders like Eric are today revealing just how dynamic it really is. Eric, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. Eric, so we appreciate uh, the opportunity to circle back with you and learn how your list of uh, priorities has grown or evolved. Uh, but but tell us, how'd you do? What's, what's taking shape? Well, I would say the, the list of priorities and opportunities to invest money in um, has only expanded um, from, from our perspective, and I think I shared it a year ago. You know, we were right on the edge of, we had just released kind of our next generation platform into the market. Um, we're in the middle of our transition to subscription. And so at this point, you know, with our, with our um, next gen platform in market, you know, we really have the opportunity to be any place that um, our target customers, which is any customer with at least 200 employees would be. That means we have way more market opportunity then we have resources. So we're roughly, you know, just south of $100 million in, in revenue, which means, you know, as a profitable company, let's say, you know, on an annual basis, we can spend, you know, maybe in the range of, of $90 million as we move forward into our next year. And with that kind of level, that's great, but there's a whole ton of markets we would love to go into and things we would love to do that, that you know, we just can't do all at once. So I think for us, um, it's changed in that our market opportunity is even bigger than it would have been a year ago. I think it's also being a little further. We've seen which things worked. We made some investments in what we call a co-selling, where we have uh, resources, a lot of them on the inside, who work with our partners and work with the partners and the customers to expand relationships. That has worked really well. And so one of the areas we're continuing to invest more in as we go forward is the expansion of that co-sell model. Our partners love it because it helps them you know, extend the, the businesses that they can, they can, um, they can help and obviously it's great for our customers because they get more coverage from both us and the partner. Okay, so what you've done can be a little bit tricky when your your inside sales team shares the end customer relationship with your partners. Um, am I characterizing that correctly? Yeah, that's exactly the, the way to look at it, that our, our partner, typically the way our model works is the partner engages with the customer. They often find the customer who's got the challenge. They're helping build a solution for the customer, and they're leveraging our platform. Historically, you know, we had pretty limited capabilities internally and then do a lot more going forward to help that partner and customer. We, we basically just provided a sort of centralized partner uh, enablement resources, which are great. But one of the things we see is that a lot of the partners, um, they could really use our help in some of the follow-on sales activities. And so we will actually work together with the partner to expand that customer relationship over time because many of our customers, they'll start small, they'll do one project. And then as time goes on, they end up wanting to leverage our platform across their entire enterprise. And that becomes a, a bit different sales cycle. And a partner is really focused on the services work 
obviously we're the platform provider, the technology provider, so we're very focused on the, the kind of the ongoing SaaS service or subscription sale. And by working together, we're able to, to, to make the process work faster, the partner's happier, customer obviously gets a good outcome quicker. So it's a win-win for everyone. In trying to understand from a finance perspective and the role that finance may have played in helping fine-tune the model, I mean, I would imagine the fact is is that you had to bring aboard some new hires, some pretty senior hires yep. knowledgeable about technology. That was a sizable cost. At the same time, you had to create sort of an economic incentive for the partner to want to continue to – uh, collaborate uh, and, and, and sell with you to, to expand uh, those relationships. Um, what yeah. role does finance have in that? Well, so first, first of all, you know, making a new investment like this is, a, is always, it can be a little bit challenging. I mean, we, you know, we have uh, institutional investors primarily at this point. You know, they're very intelligent, thoughtful, growth-oriented investors. But at the end of the day, you know, when we're asking to invest incremental dollars into the business, there's typically a, a time horizon trade-off there. And you know, with something like a co-selling model and these inside sales resources, they pay back quickly, but it's not overnight. You know, you're going to go hire a team, you're going to enable them, you're going to train them, you're generally going to ramp them probably over a six-month period. So I think the the kind of first area was a lot of the investment case work. And then a lot of the articulation of, of what the potential value would be and working through with our own groups to understand how much capacity we should add, you know, when should we add it, what should the compensation strategy be. Those are all areas that, from a financial perspective, we contributed to. And then once we had it up and going, or at least early starts, it's that monitoring of how the investment's performing, the metrics around it, um, you know, what things we should adjust, the, the, the kind of the performance management so that we can, you know, assess how well is it working and should we do more of it. Those were certainly things that we, from a financial perspective, been highly involved with. Now, the co-selling approach would give you more uh, direct contact with the end customer, whereas uh, before your lines of sight sort of were were less direct. Am I am I stating that correctly? That's absolutely true. I mean, our our evolution as we've become more of a platform company and we move to the cloud is we now have greater visibility and touch with our customers, and we have more to offer them. And frankly, with the platform and with the move of our pricing model to a, a workflow-based consumption model in the cloud, where the more workflows they deploy and use, then the more uh, they end up committing in their annual subscription, um, it's put a lot more incentive on us to really understand the customer and to make it easier for them. So things... Like now we invest in uh, like user assistance, online training, um, you know, in-product help. There's a bunch of things that we do from, from kind of all aspects of our business that are designed to make it easier for the customer to have a great experience and then want to consume more of our technology because the more they consume, obviously, the, the, the larger the economic relationship becomes. How, long, how far along then are you in the migration to the subscription model. Are you two-thirds of the way there, or uh, will there always be a piece of this model that that will not be subscription? Well, I, I'd say roughly we're probably about a third of the way through the process in terms of uh, making it. So we, we've we started to really focus on it, I'd say, um, with some material energy probably about a year ago. You know, we might have had a little earlier than that, but effectively from a real focus, I'd say it's in the last year. And, you know, when you start to make that journey, um, like a company like us that's profitable and, uh, you know, we, we, um, we want to continue to do it profitably, 
and we sell funds, so we've never raised outside capital, means that our pace and we have to be pretty thoughtful. So the first step for us was, you know, give the customer incentives to be in the cloud, provide them great technology, and as they want to move to the cloud, there's a natural movement to the subscription pricing model. Um, we're now at a phase where, and, and what, there's a metric we look at a lot, which is uh, new bookings, and a new booking is any anytime a new customer signs up or a existing customer buys more technology, so kind of incremental dollars, we're at the point now where over half of our new customers are buying subscription, and in total new bookings, we're getting close to almost half of all of our new bookings are subscription. So I would say the next 12 to 24 months, you know, we'll we'll likely move into that kind of next third, last third kind of zone fairly quickly. Um, you know, you typically see with these processes, they're they're generally in the you know three-ish year range. And I'd say, um, you know, we're on a good track to, to do something similar. So it's, it's you know, you, you kind of go through it. Early on, it's more about encouragement. Then eventually, you know, you start doing things like not allowing people to buy the old way. We're kind of getting close to, to considering some of those things. But at this point, um, you know, it's really been more of a, a, a kind of a carrot encouragement approach. And the fact is, is you have to take your partners along with you on this journey. So it's not like, all the all the decision making is your own. That's the truth, and I think one of the things that you know becomes really important in a big role. I was, I was kind of thinking about things to talk about today, and one that was on my mind was, I think where finance can add, and particularly the CFO can add a ton of value, is on pricing. Um, in a lot of businesses, pricing is just so under respected, under appreciated, under focused on. But at the end of the day, the way you choose to monetize and price will have a dramatic effect on your growth and your profitability. And in our case, um, you know, when I when I got here, our pricing was kind of set up one way. Even some of our early subscription pricing, there was a lot of things that could have been better about it. We started to change it over time. But as you start to change it, getting back to the role of the partner, yeah, I have to look at the feedback from our partners. And so there were changes we made along the way that worked great, and there were some changes that maybe didn't work so great. And we had to take that feedback understand their challenges, and then make the modifications. And one of the things that I am most proud about from a corporate perspective this year is that we made some changes throughout the year based upon partner feedback, and they worked really well. We had by far our best subscription quarter ever, the quarter we just ended on June 30th. And I think a lot of that, um, you know, one, one very good contributing factor was some of the pricing enhancements we made over time by listening to our partners. Now, you shared with us last time that you frequently attend partner events and will participate in roadshows for your partners. And we always like to emphasize the benefits of being an uh, outward-facing CFO. But as stakeholders go, uh, these partners offer you their unvarnished take on uh, customer economics. So you're able to engage with people sharing all types of points of view that a CFO would just never find uh, internally. Yeah, I mean, it's very strategic because they're the ones who, you know, and when you talk to a good mix of partners, then you can get a really great view into the market and you can get it across geographies, you can get it across verticals, use cases. So those partners, they're the ones that are spending every day of their life in front of customers and they're making decisions on how they solve those customer problems, which platforms they use, what do they recommend, and so they're, you know, they're the tip of the spear 
for a lot of the feedback on our on things like our pricing. Now, is there a particular uh, when you are you looking at certain metrics? Do you survey them? How do you keep track on uh, you know sort of partner <laughs> satisfaction? Um, yeah, so we do actually. We have a we have a chief customer officer. Uh, position. It's one of our executive team members, actually a, a recent promotion of somebody who's done a great job for us for, for the last few years. And the gentleman who runs that, um, it, one of his responsibilities is our overall partner program. And inside of the partner program, we have a, a pretty good approach. We do, um, we do survey work or recurring. That's a semi-annual process we go through to survey what the partners are thinking. And, and it covers all aspects of their relationship. It covers, you know, their experience working with our teams. It covers our technology. It covers our customer support. All aspects of the relationship get surveyed on a regular basis. Over the last, uh, since we last spoke, uh, uh, just uh, over a year, what, what uh, are there certain metrics that you're paying more close attention to these days? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's really clear. I've actually got a, a little dashboard we, we pretty much, um, you know, that is, is just so critical to what we're doing. And I think the the kind of the, the metrics that mean the most to our business right now are things like um, subscription ARR, uh, subscription new bookings, you know, the, the business mix around uh, new customers and how they're choosing to buy. And then we have we also have some things around different growth markets we're going after, things like um, the amount of ARR from, from some of those new markets is one of the key metrics. And then another one we care a ton about it's just so valuable for where we're going is the number of customers on the new or kind of our modern pricing model, the workflow subscription. So I'd say those, those roughly four or five are the kind of top of the stack. Now, obviously we have a couple bigger picture ones um, in terms of current billings and, you know, revenue growth and cash EBITDA is our primary profitability metric. But I'd say that if we do those, those for four or five, I mentioned we do a great job there, then our business is going to do really well. Those are, those are the things that matter most right now for what we're trying to do with the company. I think you mentioned that uh, the creation of the inside sales function required that you uh, communicate with partners, but also uh, with your investors. Uh, can, can you tell us a little bit about that role and how you may have uh, been tasked with communicating to both these groups? Yeah, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, look, um, we, you know, we're accountable to deliver results and the core investments we make, um, you know, like any good investors and in, in board, you know, they, they should and do uh, want clarity on how things are, are working. Um, you know, we, we at every board meeting and even to some degree in between, we are certainly on an ongoing basis continuing to update. In fact, today, one of the things I'm working on is our board presentation for our meeting next week. And one of the areas that's a core part of that review is how is our um, how is our go-to-market evolving? How is it working? Um, you know, what are those investments we've we've made? How are they performing? What are some new ones we want to make? So that that is just an iterative, ongoing process. And and our goal, you know, from 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 myself and our CEO, we try to be super transparent. You know, we we let our investors know up front. You know, here's here's what we're thinking. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's how we think it'll work. And then we're always very upfront on. Well, how did it work? And we'll call out the places where it worked better, and we'll call out the places that didn't go the way we wanted. And then we'll talk about what we're going to do about it. So that process is just a constant, um, ongoing process. What would you share with us about let's, – let's think about your annual calendar. What outward-facing uh, uh, appointments do you put on your an, annual calendar that uh, 
sort of make certain you're 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 keeping that outward facing um, component in place. Yeah. So from a perspective of of the operational work I do outside the company, that's not financial. So obviously there's like the investor conferences and stuff like that. Put put that aside because that's more you know core CFO activity. The stuff that I do to, to really keep my mind well attuned to the state of our business and actually have an ability to impact it is um, we have three larger conferences that are really more about our industry partners and customers. Um, one of them is a large partner conference that Microsoft puts on and we sponsor at a very high level. It's very efficient because a lot of our partners are there and a lot of the ISVs we look to partner with are also there. There's a conference every year that Microsoft does around business users. I, I choose to always go to that as one of our executive sponsors. And then we have our own uh, customer and partner conference, kind of our user conference we now do annually. So those, those three are kind of anchor events. My calendar always has them. I will go to them every year. They're roughly a one-week road commitment in each case. Typically, i got to leave on a Saturday or Sunday, come back on a Thursday or Friday. But they're a very rich experience where I can get a lot of customer, partner, and, frankly, time with our own sales team. So that's, that's a really good investment. I always do that. And the other thing I've weaved into the way I work is that every quarter I'm taking at least one or two trips to the field to go spend typically a week or at least, I call it at least three business days with one of our sales teams. And gonna, we're going to go see both customers and partners. And that, that time is just a recurring basis. We, we go on an executive sponsorship approach here where each of us takes at least one region. I happen to have two. So I have um, basically Central Europe, which is a big, big market for us is in Germany. So I'll go there on a recurring basis. And then I have the Southeast U.S., and so I'll go down there. So when you kind of combine, you know, three big conferences with one or two trips every quarter, then I've got myself, you know, pretty solid base of activity. Then the other thing I do is we've got um, fairly large offices for us in London and Australia. I typically will go to each of those at least two times a year. To kind of average it all out, I'd say probably once a month, if you just wanted to blend it together, I'm out in the field able to see customers, partners, and the sales team. Quickly, when you open a new office, and I don't know if those offices were opened in the last two years or so, but do you do you have a finance you know, representative in those offices necessarily, or do they just become sales offices initially? Or? Um, it, it depends on the size. So we, we've centralized a lot of our finance and accounting organization in both um, our Bellevue headquarters, uh, operational headquarters here in the U.S., and then in our um, – kind of Asia-Pacific headquarters office over in Melbourne, Australia, where we started. But we do have some limited folks. We've got, um, you know, kind of one or two people at some of our smaller offices. But a lot of them, if they're really small, we wouldn't have a financial professional there. If they're a little bit bigger, we'd probably have one there. And oftentimes, those at this point, our company scale, are more resources around things like um, accounts receivable management and, and, you know, order processing, things like that. I'd say most of our more higher-level strategic finance work gets done in one of our two big offices. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We're going to be asking Eric once more to look forward and share his 12-month finance leader priorities right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, 
clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. And so, Eric, we come back to our favorite question where it all began. Over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? So I, I think my priorities are probably going to sound relatively similar to last year. You know, right now we're we're in the midst of the, the transition to the subscription-based uh, economic model, business model. Um, you know, really pushing forward on that is, you know, A number one, the top of the list, um, helping the business make the right investments to drive growth long-term, which also includes entering, uh, you know, new new market opportunities. I would say really at the, the top, it's, it's those two. I mean, we're converting this business to subscription, we're going to new markets, and we're trying to sustain long-term growth, and we're trying to do all that profitably. I'd say the only other thing I'd add that's probably unique to my role is then managing that relationship with all these external parties, whether it's our board of investors or other parties who could be future investors. Um, that would be the only additional priority, but it, it's fundamentally, it's all about you know driving growth and, and some of our key strategic priorities for the business. Eric Johnson, thank you for joining us on CFO Fault Leader. Happy to do it. It's Jack. At CFO Thought Leader, we're interested in hearing from you. We want to find out what you would like to hear more of or less of. And so we've created an ever so short survey in order to learn from you. The survey is now available right on CFOThoughtLeader.com's homepage. It's open to career finance executives of every rank. Meanwhile, it's that time of year again. CFO Appreciation Day is quickly approaching, and we are once more firing up our kiln and making our CFO Thought Leader Mug 2019 edition available to survey takers who enlist two or more of their finance team members to complete the survey. We'll mail you our also coveted CFO Thought Leader Mug at zero cost. So visit us at cfothoughtleader.com and give us an earful. We would greatly appreciate it. Some rules and restrictions may apply.